Thank you for downloading the Root Simple podcast. Today on the show, Kelly and I head to a unique homesteading supply shop called the King's Roost to talk to the owner, Rue about aquaponics. We're actually outside the King's Roost on busy, what is this street, Fountain? Fountain and Talmadge. Fountain and Talmadge in uh, the Silver Lake District of Los Angeles. Rue, do you want to say a little something about the King's Roost to begin with? It's a pretty interesting and unique place. Sure. The King's Roost is LA's first urban homesteading store, so we sell kits for getting started in cheese making, uh, sauerkraut, sprouting, mushroom kits, butter churners. Uh, we'll also do, uh, we also carry all kinds of supplies for uh, urban chickens, all you, everything you need to take care of your chickens, and a whole line of grain mills and whole grains for making bread and anything else you want to make with your flour. And rolled, o- and rolled oats as well. We'll have to get to talking about the grain later because I've got one of those mills and a rolled oat uh, mill as well. But the reason we're here is actually another thing that you carry, which is aquaponics. Do you want to say a little something? I think most of our listeners probably know what aquaponics is, but for those who maybe don't, could you maybe describe like, the basic idea behind the system? And Kelly, Kelly is with us too, I should say as well. You, you, you want to say something, Kelly? I'd also ask if Rue could um, describe the difference between aquaponics and hydroponics for folks who get those two concepts a little a little mixed up. Sure, I'll just start from the very beginning, and that is aquaponics is really a combination of aquaculture and hydroponics. So hydroponics being growing plants in uh, without soil using uh, artificial fertilizers. Aquaculture being the raising of fish, either for food or for whatever reason, but typically aquaculture is raising fish to eat. So aquaponics is just the combination, the linking together of an aquaculture system, e.g. a fish pond, with a hydroponic system. So they, uh, they work in a symbiotic relationship to support each other's needs. And you've got a, a pretty, and it's a pretty big system out here that we're outside the shop. You want to say, you know, because this is audio, obviously, we need to describe what exactly we're looking at here. Sure, I've I've got about a three foot, four foot tall, uh, two hundred gallon fish tank sitting on the patio here, and the water uh, drains into a sump tank, which is a low tank that's another roughly two hundred gallons. So this is about a four hundred gallon system, and between those two tanks. I've got um, four grow beds, which are basically very similar to hydroponic grow beds. They're sitting on stands. They're about a foot deep, and they're each about three or four foot square, Uh, three foot by three foot. I've got some smaller ones and some larger ones. This is a demo system. So you can just picture four grow beds on stands uh, sitting next to a large fish tank. Okay, and the grow beds have some kind of pellets in them. What, What exactly is that, the one I'm looking at right here? Very similar to what you would find in an, uh, in a hydroponic system. This is a, these the, the this is grow media. It's called, and the grow media is expanded clay pellets. They're relatively light, uh, and they provide a substrate of something for the roots to hold on to. So basically, they just keep the plants upright. Uh, they also provide a an environment for the beneficial bacteria to break down the fish waste into fertilizer. Now, this other grow bed over here, I don't see those same pellets. What, what is this exactly? When you grow aquaponically, you do have a couple of options. You have the option of growing in grow media, which is typically what hydroponic growers will see. And then you also have the option of growing in a raft system, which is completely free of 
grow media. It's just the tank is full of water, and there's a a styrofoam or a foam bed with holes drilled in it uh, that sits on top of the waters. That's why they call it a raft system. And you just drop your seedlings in each one of those little holes. And it's typically what you might see in a larger uh, commercial lettuce-growing operation. If you lift up the if you lift up the foam, you can look underneath and see the roots completely submerged, just dangling down through the holes and completely submerged in water that circulates through. Now that that's puzzling for someone who does a lot of gardening in the ground, just to see the roots dangling in the water like that. So they're taking again. You said before they're taking the nutrients from the fish, the fish poop, and that's basically what they're growing in poop and water, right? Yes, poopy fish water. <laughs> poopy fish water. Now, there, in addition to the grow beds and the tank with the fish in it, there's a five-gallon bucket with some pipes going in and out of it. What what is that? When you grow with a raft system and the roots are dangling directly in the water, you don't want them to pick up any of the fish poop particles, any of the solids. So the solids will clog up the roots and starve them out. So you need a solids filter. So that's the only filtration you would need in an aquaponic system is if you have a raft bed component. So that is really just part of this raft bed system. So this system here just overall is a demo system. I'm demonstrating each one of the different types of grow beds, the raft system and the media-based system, as well as within the media-based system, I have three different sized. It's difficult to see because it's completely overgrown with vegetables. (laughs) Um, But if you were to measure these out, you would see that each one of these beds is a different size. Typically for a home system, you would just pick one size and go with that. And they're modular so you can add more grow beds. If I wanted to, I could add four more grow beds here without making any other changes. Just link it in, extend a couple of the pipes, irrigate them, and double the size of the growing space. So what have you found in terms of difference between the raft system and the pallet system? What would you recommend people go with? I would recommend going with a media system. Um, It's a little more expensive because you have to purchase a fairly substantial amount of media to get started to fill each one of these grow beds as they are 13 inches deep. Uh, and, And the raft system is limited because you tend to only be able to grow leafy greens. Um, those do the best in the raft-based system. So you have more options for growing different types of vegetables in a media system. For example, you can see tomatoes growing over there. Those are two watermelons over there. It does really well for cucumbers and eggplants. You can see those red peppers in the back. I've got indigo rose tomatoes back there and lots and lots of herbs scattered all throughout. Um, so I, would, I typically would recommend somebody start with a media-based system. It's also you don't have to worry about a filter. Now, do you have to buy those pellets periodically or are they good forever interestingly um they are intended to be to last pretty much forever i have seen uh, people discussing the in colder climates you'll find if it drops below freezing because they are porous and because they're brittle and they're expensive they look a little bit like little tiny balls of volcanic rock um so in cold climates a few years of freezing weather they'll start to get brittle and they'll turn into basically they'll break down and turn into soil or like a a, just a a powder Um, i have used pebbles here in los angeles for in my home system i've been growing for four years in them and i've not had to replace any of them and they work perfectly fine so all in all technologically what we're seeing here is there's a tank with fish in it there is a, a tank with pellets and plants in it and somewhere there's a pump uh, and other than this this floating system, which has a filter, is that it for the, the system with the pellets? So it's just pump. That's it. Yes, the whole thing is run on a pump that distributes the water to all the components of the system. And then they all drain via gravity back to the sump. 
So one pump distributes everything. And in fact, in this case, I had one pump. Um, I had a mishap with my system. The pump ran dry, got a little weak. So rather than replace it with a bigger pump, I just added a second pump. So in this particular system, rather than having one large pump, I have two smaller pumps, and the whole thing runs on about 100 watts. Okay, so not a lot of energy for that, that uh, pump. That's correct. Not very much at all. Very uh, About what you would imagine, it would be about the same usage as a, as a decent-sized home light bulb left on all the time. Okay, let's move over to the fish, getting out of the sun here, too. And the, the junior high kids on their first day of school <laughs> walking by. Um, let's talk about what kind of fish do you have in this tank? What are we looking at here? These are tilapia. Oh, yeah. tilapia. Oh, we thought we saw a koi we there. That, yeah. That's a Hawaiian gold tilapia. Oh, really? Okay. They're surprisingly pretty. I always thought tilapia would be kind of ugly. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. That's some horrible prejudice of mine. Take a closer look. I'm sure you'll see they are pretty ugly. <laughs> so why tilapia? Uh, because they are delicious and extremely difficult to kill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, so can we, yeah. tilapia, tilapia are known as fish that take to a confinement well, basically. Like... Um, goldfish sort of like the way you can keep goldfish in a little bowl at home but you can't keep a trout at home the tilapia are the the kings of the confined fish right well tilapia are special in a couple different ways one is they're very hardy fish they do need a little bit of space so you need to have a fairly large tank for them uh or at least an appropriate size tank for the amount of fish that you want to have but what's great about what's interesting about tilapia is that they not only are omnivores so they will eat any vegetable matter that might be in the tank. They will all, they're also carnivores, so they'll eat bugs. They'll eat, some people have even fed their uh, fish kitchen scraps. They're also filter feeders. So if you get any kind of algae bloom, they will help with cleaning that up as well. So they actually can process a lot of the different source, food sources that might be available to them. Um, and they're very, very hardy. So they're forgiving. As I was saying earlier, they're sort of, I was jokingly saying that they're hard to kill. What I meant by that was is that as the quality of the water fluctuates, as you're learning how to manage your aquaponics system, they're very forgiving in, in a sense that your water quality can fluctuate wildly without them dying off right away. Let's talk a little bit about that water quality. Do you, you know, we have chloramine and chlorine in our water here. Do you have to, how do you have to, to deal with that before you, before you add water to the tank? There's a couple of different ways to do that. One is using a natural uh, dechlorinator. Uh, they have there's a there's an aquaponics product that we carry here actually, which is a vitamin C based product that binds to and neutralizes the chloramines and the chlorines. Um, here at the store for these fish, I have a, I just bought a very nice whole house filter and stuck it on the side of the building. So that is going to remove it's a, it's an activated charcoal filter not that different from a British system but large enough that it will actually remove the chloramines that we have in our water here. Now uh, a lot of people listening to this live in uh, cold climates what would you have to do differently in a cold climate with this system? The number one thing you do differently than this system is use a different kind of fish. Uh, unless you have a heated pond or an insulated pond or if your pond or tank is inside, if you don't have that situation, then what you would need to do is pick a fish that's going to be more cold tolerant. So you might do something like a perch, a bluegill. Uh, if you have a nice big pond in your backyard, you might even try something like trout or salmon. Those would be more difficult, and those are more cold, cold water fish. Um, but there are a lot of different options. You can do catfish. Uh, I've even used uh, shrimp in my system as well. 
I was going to ask you about that. A friend of ours wants to use crayfish. Have you ever tried that? you have any thoughts about that? I haven't tried that personally, but I know some people have had some success with that. Usually the shellfish are used in conjunction with some other fish as well. Is that because they don't provide that algae-eating thing or some other reason or not enough poop? I don't really know. <laughs> okay. Since I've never, since I've never, since I've never uh, tried crayfish. Where, where are tilapia from? Tilapia are actually Nile perch. They're an African cichlid, and so there are many different kinds of African cichlids, and tilapia is just one of them. I think one of the, actually, one, it's interesting because one of the original names of a type of tilapia, not this particular species, is St. Peter's fish. It's one of the original biblical uh, uh, fish from one of the biblical stories. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's, all, it's also uh, known, well known for being one of the very first fish ever to be used in aquaculture, one of the first farmed fish, essentially. So do they... Oh, yeah. How far back does aquaculture go? Um, there have been... There are, there are examples of aquaculture going back thousands of years. Um, I think I've, I've read about... Uh, I don't remember the exact name of it, but in, in Chinese history, uh, you know, with uh, fish and plants like carp growing together in, in crops and rice paddies and things like that. I've heard um, about monasteries, ancient uh, European monasteries, having carp pools as a part of their grounds. That's the earliest I knew about. But yeah, I bet it goes back further in China because everything does. <laughs> and it's not that different from, you know, this, this you know, it, it, it really does replicate. It's very similar to any kind of natural environment that you would find, any kind of river, stream, or pond, which has animals living in it and plants living along the edge and it's that sort of that cycle that that closed ecosystem where you've got certain elements of the ecosystem are processing the waste and they're you know providing feed and shelter for other animals within that ecosystem now what do you feed the fish do you have to supplement uh, what they're getting from the whole system here uh, yes, the the inputs. One of the one one simple way to think of uh, aquaponics is that your inputs are going to be you, you top up the water that evaporates and you feed the fish, and then so those are your inputs and sunlight, of course, and what comes out is food and fish to eat. Ah, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So, yeah, we're loud motorcycles here and honking. It's it's L.A. So go go ahead, Kelly. Now you you eat out of this pond or your home pond. Yes, I do. So, how? It's <laughs> to say it seems kind of. Do you just reach in there and grab the fish when you want to eat him? It it's kind of unsporting, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about you know the the noble fisherman trying to lure the fish onto his line. You know, he deserves to eat this fish, but you just scoop him up. Um, I have to admit, I have fished in my in the fish tank that doesn't that also doesn't seem terribly sporting one of the things one of the things that i do like to do is i want to make sure i get the largest fish uh so i so i don't want to hook a fish that's too small to eat and then have to put them back because that's un, that unduly stresses them i do want to take care take good care of them but the other thing is you do as they grow you do need to keep the population down or else the water quality will go bad and that will stress all the fish out so really for the benefit of all the fish you do need to take them out periodically so they're they're breeding happily in there. Um, generally speaking, most aquaponds—that's what we call ourselves, aquaponds. Uh, most aquaponds actually prefer their fish not to breed, and they try to um, obtain or breed all male populations. There's a few different ways people do that by mixing certain breeds. Um, I personally find that 
they will, no matter how hard you try, you'll always get a female. So you will find that there will always be some pregnant fish and some babies will be born in there. But you, um, but if you're eating them, you need babies, right? You need more fish. Where do you, are, where do you get your new fish? <laughs> um, as I find pregnant fish, I'm, I'm, you, you become very good at spotting them. There's actually one in there right now. We'll take a look in a sec. Um, and I just separate them. I put them in a nursery tank. And they, they're mouth brooders, so they keep all their eggs in their mouth. After two or three days of holding the eggs in their mouth, after the males have fertilized them, um, they eggs, uh, they'll, they'll, I'm sorry, they'll keep them in their mouth for about two weeks. So after about 10 or 12 days, the eggs will hatch. And they'll keep the live fry in their mouth for another two or three days. And then at that point, they spit them all out. And that's when the female then, I then take her out of the nursery tank and put her back with the main population. And the babies are all in a separate tank, safe and sound. And I feed them and grow them out separately. So you're selling uh, fish here? Yes, yes. I do sell, I do sell them uh, live to other aquaponics who want to come and pick up. And anyone who buys an aquaponic system here, I just give them away for free whenever I have them. Is it feasible to be uh, soft-hearted and not eat the fish in an aquaponic system? Um, well, as I was saying before, if you did that and a, lot, and a few of them did reproduce, in a system like this, if, you, if there are some fry and they're born into the system, most of them will probably get eaten by the other fish. But you will start finding yourself with an overpopulation. Um, the alternative, if you're not going to eat the fish, would be to use a decorative fish. There's no reason you couldn't use carp or koi or something that you're not going to eat, and and you know they're not going to be reproducing as as quickly in the system. A tilapia will get, will spit out. I've watched as a tilapia spit out two thousand babies. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god! <laughs> in one, just boom, just spits them out, and a cloud of babies, baby fry, uh, fish fry, come out. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch and very quickly start to fill up the tank when you feed them because they double in size every few days for a, for a while because they're small. So if I, given that you that sort of expected that you're going to have a few females in there, if I put a system like this together, should I have a, a separate brooding tank like you have? And is that just an aquarium, basically? It's, it's basically just an aquarium unless you want to start accumulating enormous numbers of fish. What would make more sense is that if you identify any female fish, you could take them out, give them to give them to another aquapon who might be interested in taking them, or fish tacos, or fish tacos, <laughs> right? So let's, let's look at the female fish. I want him to tell me why why she how he they all look very similar to me. So it's surprising that he could spot one. So which one is the pregnant one, Rue? The light colored one down there. You can tell from there's a couple of different. Uh, tip-offs when a tilapia is pregnant. One is they actually are able to change their color. They're like chameleons. Uh, they can go from very, very light, like a pale, pale gray, to a jet black that's almost impossible to see. One of the other interesting adaptations, and just this is just an interesting fact about tilapia, is that one of their adaptations is when they're, when they're threatened, they will lay flat on the bottom. So that when you're trying to scoop tilapia out of a pond, you'll always miss. <laughs> So that one there, you can see she's doing a couple of different things. First of all, she's very pale, so that's demonstrating that she's pregnant. She's also attacking everyone else in the tank. She's trying to keep them all away. The other thing that they do, which is a, 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 a dead giveaway, is they flick their lips. They, 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 what they're doing is they have their, their mouth that remains closed, and they're flicking their upper lip, and it sticks out, and it's, that takes a little more practice to spot that. But what, that, what she's actually doing is she's keeping her mouth closed, but sucking in little bits of air at a time, 
uh, not air, sucking in a little bits of water at a time to irrigate the, the uh, eggs that are in there. I mean, if uh, just as a descriptor, I think a person who wasn't a fish person like me, I don't know really anything about fish. I, I, I mistook them for koi when I first saw them, you know, because they have big mouths and they're kind of koi shaped. And there was an orange one in there who sort of throws everything off. So they're they're um, and like like the the kid who came by he said they were kind of they're pretty. Um, uh, and the uh, the oh yeah, I just saw the the girl uh, bite at somebody. Uh, uh, they get patterned like the girl, the pregnant lady is is patterned with spots, dark spots on light. So they're they're pretty. I, I noticed there's a um, bottom feeder in there. Yeah, like a tiger fish. Is that what that is? That is a placostomus. It's an algae fish. Oh, an algae sucker. It's a sucker fish. He goes around cleaning the tank. And he'll never be fish tacos, or is he fish tacos someday? Uh, no, I don't think they're edible. Okay. <laughs> now uh, I see a couple of two, a c- couple of two small fish in there. Did you add those recently? And is that the, they're about two, three inches long, something like that? Is that the size you would add fish into this tank to begin with? Um, typically, if I yeah, if I'd add them in, I'd wait. I would normally, if I'm adding fish to a tank, I would wait till they're a little bigger than that because fish that size could accidentally get swallowed up by other fish. Uh, speaking of that, how do you start this system up? Because it doesn't it take a little while for the whole thing to get kind of in balance? Yes, you're talking about cycling an aquarium. Just like any aquarium you would get, even from the smallest aquarium to a large aquarium, you need it to cycle, which is just establishing the populations of beneficial bacteria. So you start, you need an ammonia supply, which is the food that essentially starts that food cycle of, uh, starts that nitrogen cycle that provides that um, eventually provides the fertilizer for the for the plants so to start any kind of aquarium you would start you would start your aquaponics the same way by putting in either elemental or you know basic pure ammonia to to seed it or a couple of small fish just to get them started because what will happen is over the course of two three four weeks your water quality will fluctuate wildly as those as those populations of bacteria get established and then once it's cycled, then you can add in lots and lots of fish. That sounds a little tricky. Are there a lot of things that can go wrong in that process, or am I overthinking this a bit? I mean, what? how do you... That, I mean, I, to be honest, that's one of the things that's prevented me from doing this, is worrying about that whole starting up system, because I've heard stories of people with, like, tanks full of lots of dead fish and dead plants and that kind of thing. Um, you want to say something about that That. Put, uh, that transitional period yes um i would say not to be worried too much too worried about that just the simple solution to that is just start slow just put a few fish in a f- far far fewer fish than you're ultimately sized for so this tank a two a three to four hundred gallon system like this will will s- support about 40 pounds of fish at any given moment so i started off by putting two or three fish that very slowly cycles it up. If you're really impatient, you want to get it done right on the three-week schedule, and you put your fish in, and you test the water, and then as soon as it's done, you throw a full 40 pounds of fish in, you might start having some of those problems that you're, discuss- you're, you're talking about. But I would say just start slowly, add a few fish. The way I started this system up, I just put in three or four small fish, ran it for a week or two, tested the water. You, get it, you have a little testing kit. Test the water. Make sure there's no elements that are you know, nitrates, nitrites, or ammonia are not too high or not off the charts. And if things look good, throw in another five or ten fish. A couple of weeks later, everything was great. I threw in another 10 or 15 fish, and they've been happy ever since. How did you learn how to do this? Are there books, mentors? How did you figure this out? There are not a lot of mentors out there. 
<laughs> um, and actually, that's one of the reasons why I opened the store, so that people could come and look at a system and see how simple it really is. It looks intimidating, and it's intimidating with all the pipes and tubes and tanks, but when you look at really how simple it is, it's a pump that distributes water, and it all just drains back into a tank. But I learned by looking at various YouTube videos, researching online. There's a couple of books out there. And um, it's actually, there's a fairly, now there's a fairly good body of knowledge on these systems. And it's fairly easy to get started with them. The, the barrier to entry, I think, for most people would just be the intimidation factor. It just seems like it's a big deal. But it really isn't that complicated. And now, and my hope is that now that the store is here, people who might have been interested can come in and say, hey, this is the problem I've been having, or where should I start, or how should I place it? There's a few questions, just like with anything else, beekeeping or chicken keeping. There's a lot to it, but it's not that hard to get started. I have a question about water, um, especially since we're in a drought. Uh, how how water-wise is a system like this? These systems are extremely water-wise because it's, it's actually a recirculating system. And this is also the wonderful thing about an aquaponic system, especially when we have chemicals in our water, in our, in our city water that are going to kill your fish, is that you don't want to have to constantly be refilling it or constantly treating water that you're putting in. So I've read many quotes, but generally ranging from 85 to 95% less water usage than in-ground gardening. There is no spillage. The only water loss is through transpiration. The, plant wa- the plants take up the water and use uh, water for their own growth and evaporation and occasionally some splashing or if you, have, if you spring a leak, you might lose a bunch of water. Or which I do sometimes is if, I, if I'm topping it up, if I walk away from the hose, it very quickly will overflow. So you got to be careful about that. But all in all, you're going to use about 90% less water to produce about four times... Uh, more productively per square foot than you would in in in-ground gardening. I mean, arguably that makes it about 97% more water-wise than than in-ground gardening. If you think about it, when you pour water in the ground, most, some of it touches the roots and gets absorbed, and the vast majority of it just runs off. We just talked about water, and we talked about energy earlier, but uh, I noticed there's a heater too, is that right? So um, you have to heat the water here in Southern California? For a couple of weeks a year, I have the heaters in. This heater is not even plugged in anymore. It was in for the wintertime, and I just haven't taken it out. Uh, I have one or two heaters in just to keep it from getting too cold, because at night it gets very chilly. Right, so that's, that's just during the winter that, that's on then. Yeah, just for a couple of weeks. Just like when, when, we're, when, we're, when there's a risk of frost. Tilapia are tropical fish. They're originally from Africa. They do prefer much warmer cl- uh, climates. So... If you live in a place where the temperature might get below 55 for any given amount of time and the water gets below 55, you will lose your tilapia. That actually is the most likely way to lose your fish. Um, if you, are, you know, and so L.A. is so warm most of the year. I mean, even if the water gets up to 85, 95 degrees, they're super happy. Um, but if you're going to be in a place where the water is going to be very, um, where the water potentially could get that cold on a regular basis, you don't want to worry about having to heat it. You might want to pick a different fish. Do you have to worry about it getting too hot? No. Um, now, would you describe this system as a medium-sized system or a small system for people? Again, the tank's, what, about five, four or five feet wide, something like that, three feet high, and we got, what, uh, a couple of... Gallons. Yeah. This is a 200... Ga- the main fish tank is 200 gallons, and that sump tank holds about 130, 140 gallons. Um, and there's all a little bit of water in, in each, of, each of the grow beds as well. Um, I would say this system would be fairly large 
for a family. Um, and you know you can really produce a lot in a small area with aquaponics. That's one of the one of the draws for aquaponics is that because the the roots are constantly irrigated by water through an ebb and flow system, the water level rises and falls. They're getting aerated and watered constantly. The roots don't grow quite as fast. As such, you can plant them. Most of the plants you can plant twice as close together as the packaging would tell you to <laughs> on the seed packets. And because the energy is going into growing the top part of the plant, the plants, the upper part of the plant, the part above ground, is growing and producing about twice as fast. So that's where that's how I get to the four times the productivity. It's it's twice as many plants growing twice as fast. Now, what would I expect to pay? Yeah, there's a lot of honking. As junior high is getting out, so that means honking, I guess. Those parents are ruthless, right? <laughs> the parents can be ruthless. Oh my God! Um, so. How much would I expect to pay for something like this to start out with? I have found that whether I build my own system or buy a kit, it generally runs in the 500 to $1,000 per bed uh, for an aquaponic system. Keeping in mind that um, given that a raised bed of equal size would be about half or a quarter of that price, but you're getting four times the productivity in terms of your yield, you're paying about the same. Um, you also have options as far as whether you want to put your... The beds are raised up. They're about waist height. So you'll see that there are... I have steel frames underneath them to put steel stands. So those are expensive, and the grow media is expensive. So there's lots of ways to shave the cost down. My initial system, these stands, I didn't have... I didn't build stands, so I just put them on concrete blocks, which only cost me, you know, $15 instead of $200. Uh, the grow media... You can use river rock if you really want to. Of course, you would need a more robust stand because it's much heavier. So you can save money that way. But a grow bed, the, the grow bed and the plumbing and the pumps and everything, you're going to spend a couple, a few hundred bucks for that. The tanks are surprisingly expensive, keeping in mind that all the components need to be food safe because you're going to be eating out of the system. So you want food safe plastic. You want food safe grow beds. So there are lots of different ways. Some people use IBC totes, which are those large 350-gallon Aluminum frame transportation containers, liquid transportation containers. People use those and convert them. That's a very cheap way to do it. Some people use rain barrels that they cut in half and split and build aquaponic systems out of. This is a kitted system. I must say it was a wonderful luxury. After having built my own system from parts, to just order a system, have it show up on a pallet, and just put the thing together in the booklet just took me step by step. And I had a few revelations too, having somebody else's design and saying, oh, okay, I like this element of the design. This is a little bit different. And having to being able to just assemble it, put it together and have it working pretty much right away is a wonderful thing. And it wasn't that much more expensive than parting it out because you're going out and going a la carte, buying all these strange parts one at a time, driving all over town, searching all over the internet, trying to get the parts. And yeah. Oh, I was wondering, do you have uh, any problems with critters with your with your setup? Like raccoons? No. One, as I mentioned earlier, it's a really good question. As I mentioned earlier, the tilapia are fairly... They've been, they've been prey for a really long time. <laughs> they're pretty good at avoiding predators. And especially in, when you have a tank that's more than three feet deep, the raccoons can't get at them. They, when they see you, you can see, if you look in the tank right now, we're standing right next to the tank, and you'll notice they're all hovering within about a foot of the bottom of the tank. Um, when we first walked up, they were all at the surface. So as soon as they see you, they'll drop to the bottom. So a raccoon might get lucky, but as far as I'm aware, the only fish I've lost 
uh, are fish that just decided to uh, do themselves in and take a big jump, a leap of faith. And uh, <laughs> So you've never found evidence of like a raccoon trying to pillage you? Have you, have you never? Because no. it's open-topped, right? Do you lock it down at night at all? No, I do put a cover on it to keep the sun out because one of the one of the uh, one of the problems you sometimes run into is if you're at a very sunny location, you'll get algae growth, which could cloud up the water and 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 that can cause other problems. But basically, I just cover it to keep the sun out. But I'm not worried about um, I'm not worried about predators. I've never seen I've never seen a predator be successful at getting one of these guys out. But the fish jump out sometimes. Sometimes they do. Okay, so that might be another reason to cover it. Um, Back to the materials, obviously you're not going to go to Home Depot and get food-grade materials, so that says something to, is that correct? Or I mean, this some, 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 some parts are. For example, the PVC, the, it's, it's food-grade, it's water-safe. I mean, you can, this is for irrigation, and the PVC pipe is fine for, um, for, for the system. I have found, I've had trouble finding uh, grow bed containers. I've used Rubbermaid, the foam Rubbermaid stock tanks uh, at, at my system at home. That's what I use. So, yeah, it is sometimes difficult to find, and you have to look at the right kinds of plastic. Certain kinds of plastic are food safe and some are not. No, do you sell this? You want to say something, Kelly? Oh, well, I had a question about the plastic. I you know some of our readers um, have expressed concern about uh, plastics in general. Like when we have, create self-watering containers out of food buckets and that sort of thing. Is there a, um, is there a plastic-free system available or, or even possible? It, I... I would venture to say that that would be close to impossible because the pumps, there's, all the pumps have plastic components. The irrigation pipes, I mean, you might be able to find rubber tubing and, you know, and, 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 and try to make a system out of those, those types of parts. But you've got gaskets, you've got drains, you've got uh, the grow beds. It would be, I, I think it would be quite, you know, it, people even build their own systems will often use uh, Duraskrim or pond liner to build their own water tanks and grow beds, and even those are, you know, a form of plastic. So I think it would be pretty well impossible. Um, perhaps you can build an earthen, an earthen <laughs> cob aquaponic system, and it would be really amazing to see something like that. Like a tagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> back to the kit itself. Now, you sell this kit, right? Is, can you name it or recommend it? If there are people who are, I mean, they can come to your shop if they're in L.A. Can they order it online from you, or how, does, how, do, how would you get this particular system? Yes, it is, it is, it is, there's a lot of different components. These systems are modular. So every, every system is essentially a custom, is custom made. So I could, if somebody was interested, they could give me a call and I could price out a system based on how many, you know, how much space they have. They could tell me how much space they have and I could suggest the size of the grow beds, how many grow beds, and then match the appropriate fish tank and put together a kit and a quote for that way. Yes, absolutely. Not to support the competition, but uh, medicinal marijuana is, you know, le being legalized around the country now. Uh, is this something that someone could go to one of those kind of hydroponic stores and put something like this together, too? Yes, I have seen people go and get certain components that they need. I have personally gone to the hydro stores in order to get a lot of the parts that I need for the system. But they, the hydro stores, typically their expertise tends to end um, when you shift from the hydroponic grow beds into the fish tanks and that's where 
uh, that's where the expertise and also the equipment and what they carry isn't going to support you. So there are maybe certain parts. For, absolutely. Hydro stores are actually a great resource for getting some of the parts, gaskets and fittings and tubes and pipes and pumps and things like that. But um, as far as the expertise needed to help you or give you advice on an aquaponic type system, they, they, some of them might have some knowledge of that, but that isn't part of their core expertise. Do people grow pot with aquaponics? I'm not aware of anyone doing that, but I would bet you someone somewhere is. <laughs> I mean, that would be, again, you said earlier, that's the advantage of, of aquaponics over hydroponics, which is what more commonly you would grow, is that some of those fertilizers for hydroponics are pretty expensive, right? And a little confusing? I've never, uh, I've never grown with the, those artificial fertilizers, so I wouldn't know. Kelly, any last questions while we're outside? Or Oh, yeah, I have, I have lots of questions. You could also move inside, too. Um, one question I have is about, um, you know, when you're working with, uh, when you're doing in-ground gardening, you have trouble with, uh, with various kinds of soil diseases and pests and stuff. What is your experience with that in your system? Oh, now, hold on a second. What are those little creatures down at the... What? Do I see some little babies down oh, there? Oh, you thought she, she Or no, I see some, just debris. Just I'm sorry. Debris. Okay. I derailed. What was that again, Kelly? <laughs> pests, um, like yeah. soil, like, you know, do any back, bad bacteria or pests invade the grow medium, cause you troubles? One of the nice things about aquaponics is that you don't have, you never have problems with weeds, or very rarely. And, and weeds are extremely easy to deal with because the pebbles are so large, you just grab, I mean, I can grab any one of these plants and just lift it right out and move it to another spot. Um... Uh, like any other type of growing, these the above-ground plants are going to attract pests. You can see there's a, probably a few bugs. If we shake some of these plants, some of the little flies might fly out. You definitely have pests, and that is something you have to worry about and take care of. I personally use ladybugs for a lot of it. Um, if I get loopworms, I'll just pick them off, keep an eye on them. If you have well-trained tilapia, you can take the loopworms and toss them into the fish tank, and they'll eat them. <laughs> What about soil-borne diseases like um, nematodes on tomatoes? Like we are, we just lost a bunch of tomatoes to, uh, we think, nematodes. Um, I haven't had that. I haven't run into that yet, but I'm sure that's certainly possible. One of the um, things I do love about aquaponics is the fact that there is no soil at all. And you're starting off with a clean, essentially a clean slate. Um, so in that regard, I think you're going to find that the soil-borne problems, you're going to have less of that. I'm, I'm certain that you might run into, you potentially could run into some problems. I suppose that if you did get a soil-borne problem, you could just take everything out and wash your beads, right, and put it back in. Yes, you could. <laughs> That's funny. Are, are there any uh, fish problems, parasites, that kind of thing that you, you can expect from this? Um, I have had a few problems with that. Um, like any kind of aquarium, you need to keep an eye on your fish. And if they show signs of stress, they can get fungus. They can get parasites. Any, any of that can happen. So you just need to keep an eye on them. And especially, and, and actually that is a good case for taking them out and eating them. Because when they're in a tank and you're looking down from above, sometimes it's hard to see what's going on. But if you take one out and you're processing the fish and you're cooking it, and you can see, if you see something that's something going on, you'll like, oh, that, that's not an edible fish. Let's get rid of that and let's start, you know, salting the water or, you know, do, taking, trying to take some natural remedies to try and figure out, you know, how to improve their water quality and improve their health. What if you want to go on vacation? Do you have to get someone to come over and feed your fish every day? Yes. 
<laughs> I do. Um, you know, actually, w- what I do is I, I have somebody come by and take a look at the system. The fish will actually do perfectly fine if you miss a few days of feeding. They won't die. Um, so I'll have somebody come in and feed them. But they actually take less work than the chickens. So by far, because if I if I don't do if I were just to completely walk away from the system and leave it running, it, it would absent any leaks or any major problems occurring, I could come back in two, three, four days and everything would be running just fine. We'd probably need to top up the water at that point. I would le- I would top it up before I left and come back and everything would be fine. Uh, like in the summertime, how often do you top off your water? In the summertime, I have to do it every four or five days. I just take the hose and I put it in for a few minutes and just top it up. Is it a problem when it rains and you get rainwater or is that a positive input? It's a positive input. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of times one of the things that may happen is the pH tends to get a little high in these systems. So a little bit of acid rain actually helps the system. <laughs> yeah, our water is pretty high pH, right? So it's, it's, oh, go ahead, Chris, that might be taken care of with the filter. Are there other ways to balance the pH in the system? I tend, I personally tend to not try to monkey with the pH. I let the, I try to let it balance itself out. I, I have found in my experience, barring the initial, like when you first put the, the, the media tends to have a pH that's a little bit on the high end as well. It's around an eight. So initially I might put in, before the fish go in, I might put some pH lower in its phosphoric acid and lower the pH and get that kind of to the right place. But beyond that, when you're constantly, when it's raining in there and there's fish pooping in there and there's plants in there, eventually it does seem to find its own homeostasis. Um, I have found that trying to, trying to keep the pH at an exact right place is just too difficult. It just doesn't seem to work. It, it wants to be where it wants to be. Have you ever seen anyone work this into like a water feature kind of thing in their yard? Yeah, a lot of times people will take their existing ponds, and you might have someone that has a pond, uh, a koi pond in their house, and they want to convert it into an aquaponic system. You just saved a ton of money because you don't have to buy a tank now. Um, there are some design elements and design changes that you need to do when you have your fish tank below, that far below your grow beds, but those are all things that are perfectly perfectly doable, and I think it's a great way to sort of essentially retrofit your fish pond into an aquaponic system that's going to produce vegetables and save you the hassle of having to clean filters. <laughs> that's pretty cool. What about my swimming pool? Can I convert it into a giant fish tank? Uh if you have a natural pool, I mean, we, I was actually going to mention the, that natural pools work on a very similar system where the, the plants are kind of keeping the, the, the water clean. I would be a little nervous to swim in a, in a tank with tilapia because if you step on one, they do have pretty decent spines. <laughs> wow. Like it's got a stinging spines or something? It's, it's, not, it, it's not a stinging spine. It's just a spine. And so they don't have venom or anything like that, but I've, I've grabbed a fish wrong and gotten poked before, and it doesn't feel great. And they will avoid you, for sure. You, I, I would happily swim in it, but you, you just would need to be careful. Like, I wouldn't go jumping in. <laughs> you land on one just wrong, and he'll be unhappy, and you'll be unhappy. Now, do people in cold climates also do this in a greenhouse? Is that, is that possible to save on the heating costs? Yeah, actually, most most aquapons do their aquaponic systems in greenhouses. My system at home is in a greenhouse. Uh, I have to keep it very shaded because in L.A. in the direct sun, the greenhouse actually gets too hot. Uh, but greenhouses are wonderful because they, they do give you a little more of a controlled environment. So even out in, in L.A., if I had the resources, you would recommend doing it in a greenhouse? Um, if you have a shady enough spot. 
if it's if it's if it's if it's too sunny, your greenhouse is going to get super hot. You're going to end up having to get a fan and try and keep it cool because the plants. I mean, I, I had my greenhouse in a warm part of the yard, uh, thinking, oh, sunny spot, let's put the greenhouse here. And you know, you learn by trial and error. I would walk in the greenhouse and realize, well, everything's. You know, I'm cooking my plants on the <laughs> in the greenhouse. It's well over 100 degrees. So, but why a greenhouse in LA? Um, my initial reason for putting everything in a greenhouse, one was because uh, during the winter time it did get a little chilly at night, and so it helped maintain the warmth at night because we do have very big temperature swings. So while the daytime temperatures are perfect, if you have too many consecutive nights of very cold weather, then the, then you're more likely going to lose some fish to the cold. The other reason is uh, is the, the the predators that not the predators that go after the fish, but the predators that go after my plants. Yeah. I had squirrels and maybe mice would come in and they would eat everything and the birds would come so I, I personally I, the reason I ended up putting everything in a greenhouse was just to keep everything else out <laughs> I'm beginning to like this idea we've, we've, we've had the worst year for critters and diseases and whatnot, and, um, and and just the drought you know trying to keep stuff alive and the drought nothing's happy and I'm beginning to <laughs> feel isolationist like I think I would, I would like a big greenhouse um, you know, to just protect everything and lock it all down. And maybe the chickens could live, you know, on the floor of the greenhouse as well. Like we could put them over where the chicken coop is. You ready for a building project? Oh, God. I don't know if we have room <laughs> for this. It's very appealing, though. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about aquaponics before we maybe move in the shop? You can tell us a little about the shop. Um, I, don't know, I think I think we've covered most of it. Um, it's just one of those. It's just all I would say is it's just it's incredibly satisfying to go out to your backyard and get everything you need to make fish tacos practically, and get some fish out, put them on the grill, get a few veggies, and and be a little just a t- just a little bit more self sufficient. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Let's move in the shop, and um, you can tell us a little bit about that. We're back in the shop with Rue here, and I wonder if you could say a little something about the shop itself. Well, one of the things I hope to do with the shop is inspire people to try something new. Uh, I am a big fan of learning by doing, and also, in particular, I love baking bread. So I carry, I'm one of the only, I think I'm pretty sure I'm the only store in Los Angeles that carries these grain mills. So people can come here, learn how to mill flour, pick up a mill, pick up some grains, uh, learn how to make cheese, learn how to make yogurt or tofu or grow some mushrooms or brew beer. And it's all geared towards city living. What are some of these projects that you can do? I've tried to select projects and kits that fit within an urban lifestyle that take less of an investment in time, space, and money and are more appropriate for our busy lifestyles. Cool. And you have a, you have a website. You have, you have your, lovely, your lovely daughter and son are leaving right now. That's my son. And our and his and our neighbor. Oh, neighbor! Oops! Wow, you looks like your brother and sister almost. They do, they do don't they? Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> so, what's the website? How can people get in touch with you? It's kingsroost.com, and we're on Facebook as the Kings Roost and Instagram as Kings Roost LA. And uh, yeah, so we so we also have workshops. We have a newsletter. And we have periodic food trucks come over to the store, and we have a patio outside. Um, one of the things I enjoy the most about the store is, is running workshops and teaching people how to do new things. Kombucha, um, sauerkraut, making fermented hot sauces, making soap. We've done a beer workshop. So there's just no end of fun stuff to do here at the store. And you have a YouTube channel, too, including an aquaponics video, right? 
Yes, we do. We have, I try to put as much information on that YouTube channel so people can actually see how to do some of these projects and hopefully be inspired to start something new. Well, thank you, Rue. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you so much, Rue. That was Rue C. of the King's Roost. You can find the King's Roost on the web at kingsroost.com. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher, and you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.